welcome to Two Good Mums, a podcast about our experience of forced adoption. I'm Laura and my baby CJ was removed from my care when he was five months old. And I'm Peggy. I adopted CJ along with my husband Chris at 15 months. And over the course of this podcast, we're going to be sharing our story of how we became Two two Good Mums. So this is our final episode and we've got a lot to get through really. We're kind of using this episode to kind of answer people's questions and just say, uh, chat about things that we felt are important that um, didn't fit in the narrative. Yeah. Uh, so one, one of the things that um, when I went to back to university and I was studying, you know, uh, what it's like to be you basically in, in a nutshell <laughs> you know like I was studying what, what did I say you know like um, post-adoption contact in the age of social media sounds very grand I didn't actually do that in the end um, but in the in the course of that I I came across um, that the Australian government had done a formal apology in parliament for forced adoption and that made me think wow and so I emailed you and I apologised. I said, I'm really sorry this has happened to you. And, um, oh, gosh, I'm tearing up now. And, yeah. it, and it wasn't an apology like an acceptance of responsibility because I don't think I did anything wrong. Yeah. Um, but I still am truly sorry that this happened to you. Yeah. Um, and and, I, and we've, we've mentioned that you don't always remember everything. but I do remember that. Yeah, it was uh, not something that I could easily or ever forget. There hadn't been, and even though I think I said in my reply email, it, it isn't your responsibility to be apologising because you haven't done this. You're the one I should be thanking, but not a single person has ever said sorry or has ever made an acknowledgement that what happened deserved an apology. No one had ever made me feel like what happened shouldn't have happened. And so even though it, it didn't need to come from you, just the fact that you said it, I just remembered, I, I just cried and I didn't expect to. I didn't I didn't know that it was something that would have such a profound effect on me, but it really, really did. And even when, when you said it and, and I was crying and it just felt like a little bit of weight was lifted. It's hard to put into words, but it was just a very big thing. Mm, yeah. And yet it was a very small thing for me to do in some respects. Yeah, I, th- I think it was also the fact that I, it came from someone who, again, even though it wasn't your responsibility to do it, you did it with meaning. You weren't just saying, oh, sorry. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> you actually, yeah, you actually thought about why you were saying it. You thought about why it needed to be said to me, even though not from you. It, it wasn't just a, oh, I'm just going to just add this word in there just to make her feel better. It was literally you'd have gone out of your way and you'd seen this thing and you'd related it to how I would feel. And, and no offence to anyone in my family, but there's nobody who, who's gone out of their way to understand things the way that you have. And, and that means a lot to me. So, Thank you. <laughs> One of the problems we've had a couple of not problems but a couple of uh things that have come up along the way and one of them was um when you got married uh, to Stuart I got the question was well what's Stuart to us what's the name for that relationship and it's like well there isn't really a name for that relationship and I kind of said if you were still with mommy Laura then he would be your stepdad. And they were, oh, okay, stepdad. And I'm like, well, you've already got two dads. I mean, it's a bit complicated, <laughs> you know, like, so, uh, you know, and and so that that was a bit of a, a conundrum just, just in terms of kids trying to work out connections, that there was yeah. no name for, for that relationship. Um, and the other thing that we're, that has been not so much an issue, but in, in hindsight, I mean, you know, you've always been Mummy Laura and... Um, for CJ, his dad was Daddy Michael, and he's 14 now. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and me you... and Daddy just stopped, really. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, and and I don't know uh, if you picked up that um, you referred to Michael as Michael. Yes. And if another question that's been asked, you know, and we got this, this was the most common question, was how has it been beneficial for the kids? 
and our relationship. And on a small level, it's things like um, now that we are in touch, I act um, as a buffer and a, and a, and a connector between um, the two families. So, for, and, and this is an, an example that I've, I've checked with CJ that I could share. And, you know, now he's a teenager. Um, I think there was a, a recent meet with his birth dad that we came away from. And he said, CJ said to me, he said, I really don't know what to call him because I don't want to go to Daddy Michael. Yeah. And, um, and I said, yeah, that's fair enough. And, and, and I know what that's like, that if you can't call somebody by something, that's, uh, it interrupts the, the connection. Mm. It, it kind of creates a distance between people. So I asked him, would you like me to kind of, you know, work that out for you? And he's, you know, do, you know talk, to, talk to him about it. And he said, yes, please. And so I, I emailed and I said, look, you know, I laid out the situation. I said, how do you feel about it? You know, do you have a preference? And he said, a bit like you, I don't mind whatever he's comfortable with, you know, I'm just, yeah. great, you know, so, um, so yeah, so, so it's that sort of small thing that you and I being in touch makes a big difference to the yeah. quality of their relationships because I'm like a buffer and I don't, I don't censor stuff or maybe the emojis that they put on the emails to you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they get a bit carried away with that, but, um, but I tend to like help them with their connections with their families, two families. Yeah. 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 Um, and I don't know if I've talked about things in the right order because one of the difficulties of sharing how it works is that there's a million nuanced things like that, that benefits. Um, and the difficulty of talking about these things is, is that it's not just our story, it's other people's information. And so I'm really reluctant to share examples, which even CJ said brings things to life. Uh, mm -hmm. examples are really helpful and when we spoke at a conference in, in February I, give, I did give more details uh, about the benefits but I did it in a room where I said please don't record and I have permission to share what I'm sharing there's a very different feel to putting it on the wind in a, in a conference to making a public record of it because whilst I had the, the boys permission at the ages they are now they may not like it out there you know, when they get older and I'm very mindful of that. So that's long and waffly, but what I'm trying to say is that there are huge benefits and we can't share all of them in this forum, but I will share one because I think it's huge uh, and, and I'll probably help flesh it out a little bit. And that's that CJ and RJ have different fathers and one father was picking up letterbox in, you know, communicating with us and the other father wasn't collecting them. And we anticipated this was going to be an issue uh, when CJ became old enough to notice. And it was your efforts that got him, got CJ's dad engaged. Do you want to jump in and say something about what you did? What have you come um, saying? Yeah, no, that's fine. So from the get-go, from CJ being adopted, I would say to uh, Michael, you should meet them. And whilst our relationship was building, I felt comfortable enough to say, um, despite the fact that I hadn't seen him since before I'd even said goodbye to CJ, um, I said, I know them. If I came with you to the meeting, would that help? And he said, yes. So I, uh, we arranged a date and a time and I, it was in London, um, and so I went all the way down to London from where I am, which is the middle of the country. <laughs> On an overnight coach, I've got to say. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, and so I went down on the coach, uh, met up with Michael, and we met up with you, um, and that's where it began from there, and then I just went back on the overnight coach, back up. Um, that's heroic. <laughs> I, you know, hats off to you because that was huge. So from my point of view, ha establishing that contact was just making, I just could anticipate it was making my life a whole lot easier because I could see nothing but problems when I've got uh, disparity between the two boys with contact with their birth dads. Yeah. And, and I, was, I was just so worried about that and I so wanted him to be in touch and he, and he is, you know. Yeah. Um, and 
CJ has that relationship with him. They, you know, uh, Michael follows him on Instagram, but he did it by checking with me first when he when he was approached. You know, like, it, you know, it just in sharing what what the benefits have been, it's it's hard to say what it would have been like if we didn't have these sorts of things going on. But I can promise you, it would have been hard, hard, mm. hard because I knew what he was like. I saw what he was like when he was telling us he needed to see you. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there is, I just can't get across the benefits, how many they, and they are. Yeah. Obviously, there are going to be situations for certain people where it isn't going to be the right thing to do. But for those where it could be, it, it could change things exponentially for some people. And yeah. um, so it's always something I think should be worth consideration for those that feel like they could potentially do it yeah I mean when you when you hear about adult adoptees meeting up with with their first family uh it does it's not smooth sailing but you know no. and and we've managed to get ahead of that curve as well mm. because I love that they're growing up knowing you guys and we're mm. just extended family in their minds and um, so there's there's no the, the loss that they will have felt uh, isn't as great. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I you know I, I think as I said at the at a conference, you know, without it being recorded, you know, I can and, and have shared more with permission. Um, but you know, I think there needs, needs to be an element of trust that yeah, it's it's worked well for us. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I wrote a blog post called Horns where I referenced uh, a magazine article that was given to me by social services or told to me, you know, and, and I talked in that blog about how I was creating an, what I call in my mind an empathy box. I was trying to build a picture of what you were like, not because I didn't know that we were going to have a relationship. So mm. I was trying to anticipate what questions I might get further on about or what was my mummy Laura like kind of thing. And so I said in the blog that I, you know, your favorite movie was High School Musical. So I, I got that and you're, you're laughing. <laughs> she's, I, can, I can see Laura on video. She's got her head in her hands. Um, but you did. And that was a measure of what, who you were at that point. And I think that's yeah. important to capture. And so, um, and in the blog, I also said, and, and I was given this, you know, told about this magazine article and I thought, oh, that doesn't put you in a particularly good light, but it's a fair represent, you know, like that's who you are, you know, like, and I did it about it. Now, what's really interesting um, is that you did not know that I had that, that I knew about that magazine article. Yeah. And when we were all together, and I think I was in the kitchen helping with the food preparation and you and your, your mum and your sister were sitting at a table just chatting. And I've learned since that you're most more likely to talk about what happened on those occasions because it all brings it back. Yes. And you're talking about this magazine article. And I got a very – and you didn't know that I knew about it and, and I was just overhearing your conversation anyway. <laughs> and and so my point about that is you weren't, you weren't trying to – Say it to say it. Yeah, you weren't so that trying you to... could hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you didn't know I knew anything about it. So, can I talk about the, what the article was? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, at that stage, uh, CJ had been placed with us, but we hadn't officially illegally adopted, and they were still bringing snippets of stuff about you that are and, and you know the things that were negative. And in this magazine article, um, there was. It was about, was it pregorexia or something? <laughs> pregorexia. And um, we put a the photo that was in the magazine article we've put with the blog. And um, and the article was basically saying that you uh, were trying to not have a baby bump and you had an eating disorder because you wanted to look svelte while you were pregnant. <laughs> and there were some vicious comments. It was an online um, one. There were some very vicious comments about how nasty you were to, like, you didn't deserve to have a baby because you weren't feeding it properly and all this sort of stuff. And um, and I don't know if you know this, but uh, they the social, social workers seemed to think you had an eating disorder. So that magazine article fitted with their perception of you and also there was a lot of oh she's always ill and a lot of eye rolling that went with she's always ill so and I'll come back to that but tell tell people what that magazine how that came about and what it really was 
I get hypermesis gravidarum when I'm pregnant. I am extremely sick, not on purpose. I I lose a lot of weight um, because even when I eat, it comes back up. I don't have that choice. It just happens. Up until the last pregnancy, I, I've, I'd never been able to manage it with medication. It, it was very unresponsive to any medication. Um, so I was in and out of hospital, still losing weight, still very, very unwell. And I wanted to help raise awareness of it. So I approached the magazine who were looking for stories. And I approached them saying, I have this illness. It's not very well known about. I want to raise awareness. Can you help me do that? And they said, yep, we'll do an article about it. Um, they came, they took the picture that was attached to your blog. And and they said, yep, that's what that article is going to be about. Um, I never... I never heard the proofread. Someone else did the proofread for me. They basically read out the article over the phone to someone. And and you were ill as well. Because I was ill. I, I yeah, I was too ill to actually do that. So um, they did it to someone else, and and that person approved the article, which turned out to not be about hyperemesis at all. They were in fact taking the angle that I had pregorexia, which is anorexia during pregnancy. Um, and had I heard the proofread, I would never, ever have approved that article. So that's another example of how just being in touch is beneficial. Mm-hmm. Because I learned from just overhearing your conversation, as you were talking about, oh, I remember that article, blah, 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 that, again, the file wasn't <laughs> a fair depiction of who you were. Um, and that condition, which I can never say, Hyper or whatever. <laughs> it's it's abbreviated to HG, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. So again, learning about the HG, which wasn't in your file. It was she's uh-huh. well, if it if it was, it was not in a way that anyone understood it. Because yeah. of all the kind of oh, she's always ill, kind of like if she turns up, she's ill all the time, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You know, you're in hospital. I'm thinking, if she's in hospital, you know, perhaps she is ill, you know. Like, uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? They don't put you in for nothing. But anyway, so this this HG I'd never heard of. And again, with this empathy box in mind and being aware that, you know, this was something that you suffered with, I looked into it and I, I got a, a fairly easy read book that explains it. Um, and again, and I put it in this empathy box um, so that the boys would also understand, mm. you know, what, life was like for you and you know how things were because it count it was like countering the file does that make sense yeah it was like this is what the social services said and it's a very static that file isn't it that's mm. that's the file that's there for life now yeah. um and and life moves on anyway and you you know people are different at different points in their lives so and i and i i think it's for some, in one of our email exchanges i i, I must have mentioned that I'd, I'd read up on it and and i was i was talking to you about it um and you're smiling and you because Laura forgets things and I have to yeah, check I do. do you remember this do you remember this and um, and and you said at the time that actually nobody has ever um look, like read about it and and learned about it because it is such a rare condition and and you were quite overwhelmed and emotional that I'd gone to that bother <laughs> really so so that stayed with me because of the, um is it because I did th- and I'm, the reason I'm I'm bringing it up now is because last episode was all about um, Ava. Yes. And and so this combination of the, the file saying that you had pregorexia and, you know, or <laughs> some eye rolls went on there. <laughs> and and, and I, I always thought that they did not engage properly with this condition of yours, this HG. They never once asked about it. They even visited me in the hospital um, when I was pregnant with RJ, just before he was born, didn't ask about the condition or anything. And I'm guessing were listening. I, I don't know if the doctors told them anything, but it definitely weren't listening to what I was telling them. Um, but back then, it was also not a very well understood condition, even from doctors. Mm. Doctors would rather believe that you do have an an eating disorder. Um, but I definitely had it is in my um, my medical records as that um it's just the occasional doctor that you'll find that just for some reason doesn't believe in it Mm. um I even faced that this time the odd and it's and not to be very stereotypical but it does seem to be the older 
doctors that are like that. The more mature uh, ones, huh? Yeah, who who just who think it's just as simple as just eat a cracker or something and get on with it. It's it's just not that simple. So I was used to it at that point. Obviously, with having CJ's pregnancy before that, I was used to people just sort of not really understanding it and things. But they didn't even take the time to talk to me about it or really understand the situation. So that's probably why there is very little or nothing in the records of them uh, of it because they just didn't want to know about it or there, ask. there might have been one kind of word you know she has this but no no kind yeah. of discussion in the file about what that means or what it, what how how it is and and what will do to you um because yeah. you know it's, it's it's huge and tough and with with with, a, with your pregnancy with ava i mean i know this is life-threatening condition mm-hmm. um and i guess that's why i got so um a few things that when I spoke to your social worker, I was able, I knew that the file was going to say, but she hadn't seen it when I spoke to her. And I said, she's not the file. I've known this person for, for years and years and years. You know, she is not the file. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and those, and I talked to her about this HG as well, because I knew that, that that wouldn't be well represented in the file. And I think, you know, while you, and we've talked about this before, that I thought, I thought they would take it more seriously because you, you know, you're on the BBC <laughs> featured. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's real people yeah. <laughs> from the BBC. <laughs> yeah, they, again, they didn't really ask about it last time, but um, and they didn't seem to take it seriously, which is why they ran out of time. So yeah, which is it's just so frustrated yeah. with it all. <laughs> but I think that that again feeds back into the what are the benefits of being in touch um, and and having direct communication. It's going to be different for everybody, but yes, for me it's like. I learned who you were. I didn't just learn about what social services thought of you by and put in the yeah. file. Yeah. And and that's huge because I think to get along with people, you have to have empathy and you have to understand their point of view and and without some sort of direct communication that enables that. I can't see how that can yeah. happen. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't have decided to want to get to know a birth family in the first place and then had they heard negative things to begin with, would have probably then, even if they had been thinking about it, decided against it anyway. So for you to then go forward even a further step and say, well, actually, I'm not going to listen to that, that it's it's a very big thing. And it's it's what, and I, I know it must be hard for adoptive parents out there to not, listen to what social services are saying and it's not to say that you shouldn't always listen to what they're saying because obviously if there are some very serious points that are worth listening to then that's fair enough but like you say the person is not the file so yeah it's to encourage people to not always look at the information that is in front of you and maybe just put yourself out there and get to know the person yourself yeah, I, th- I think I, th- I would express it. It's not that I didn't listen, but I, I put it to the side. I thought, okay, well, that's what they're telling me. Let's just park it over there and make my own mind up. And it's, so I didn't dismiss it, um, but I didn't, I didn't embrace it. Yeah, and you didn't let it stop you from no your own mind deciding what you thought. So. And and this is one of the subtleties of the benefits of us yes I get to know you better but because we get along so well that's evident to the kids when they when we're all together and if we if there was any kind of underlying tension or awkwardness they would pick it up kids are so astute yeah Uh, and and they would be thinking well you know mum's not like that with other people why is she like that with these people is there (laughs) something wrong with them does that mean there's something wrong with me you know like it it, these are the subtleties of it all So we also asked any of our listeners if they had any questions or feedback for us. So um, in this section of the podcast, we're going to answer any of those that we felt haven't already been touched upon in previous episodes. Shall we start with the simple things? And that's the question about language, about birth family versus first family. I mean, we we have mentioned it throughout and there's a bit on the the website about that but 
Yeah. I mean, personally, for, for my side of thing, for the first family, birth family, I would just tell people, go with what you're comfortable with. And I, I don't have any preference. To, to me, you, you are just family, so I'm family, and it doesn't really matter. You can call me Fred, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> somebody's, somebody's asked a question about when they've tried to meet their first family that they haven't that the adoptive parents haven't have been stopped by social services or stymied or whatever. Yes. I'm slightly shocked to, that it's still going on um, because I you know you and I have been merrily going on our way doing this <laughs> and then we we pop our head up and go to a conference and realize you know we're told it's a, you know it's a hot topic you know so the fact that some you know some other people are saying how how do we get past social services because we're being stopped from doing it if you haven't already ask social services if there is a specific reason why they're saying no because it may be that they know something that they don't and it may be a safety issue or something like that that they're not aware of um so just to get as much information from them as they can so that they're all on the same page if they're willing to give it they should be um and then if they can't give them a good enough reason as to why if there isn't a specific safety issue or it's just that they don't think it's a good idea also, don't be afraid. Like this is your decision. If you really want to do it, then it, it's completely up to you. Like you didn't ask social services if you could give me that email address. No. You just did it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it's it's about taking control where you feel comfortable to take control. So if if they aren't allowing you the space to have the contact that you want, then if you feel comfortable doing so, don't be afraid to take over it yourself. So that's that's the only. Obviously, it's not going to be right for everybody, and I would strongly caution you to at least check with social services first if there is a safety issue. But if there if there isn't, then th there may be some other way, either through letterbox, to get a different type of contact method started. I just I think you offer good advice, Laura. There was a, a question um, also about uh, about training for potential adopters. Uh, is there anything you can think could be done to highlight to prospective adopters or benefit their training? I think that means about post-adoption contact. Uh, I, I want to reiterate that I thought the training that we received was really good uh, as potential adopters. Uh, and we, we've used a lot of it. We've taken a lot of notice of it. And a lot of our decisions have been based on understanding the things that they taught us. Like uh, we were told that no matter what the children's background, uh, they will all need to kind of manage attachment issues, loss, and identity issues, and and that's sort of absolute minimum. And and that that informed a lot of our decisions because we took that on board and thought these these are important and to their well-being as as individuals, uh, and so we saw the benefits of of being in touch with you. And that drove yeah. it a lot. So when when CJ said he needed to see you, we listened and we responded. And so I think the the training was exceptionally good. And remember that I've I've been in another system as well in Australia where it was there wasn't training; it was just assessment. And so I can compare. And we would love to get involved in training people at that stage, wouldn't we? Mm. Um, because yeah, if you if you take it on board while you're a potential adopter then it informs your decisions while you're being assessed. For example, what we did when we were offered the chance to meet you, because of our training, we said, yes, please. Yeah, we'll have some of that. Um, and, and one thing feeds into the next. And so I would just, yeah, get people, get us involved. Hey, plug for us. <laughs> get two good mums to come and talk to your, um, your, your potential adopters. Um, because I think that, yeah, I think a lot of people are, and certainly we were as well, scared of the unknown. So another question is, how can social services improve in terms of supporting families whose children have been removed? So I, I think that a few things, really. I think a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I think that the, the current system is all about, it's child-focused. It's focused on child protection. And I, I, I think that it would be more helpful if it was family-focused mm -hmm. um, because a child doesn't exist outside of a family, really. You know, the, So... If there are problems in the family, let's fix the problems in the family, not remove the child. You know, if you know, yeah. all th you know, everything is is like you know. Yes, you've got to keep the child safe, but um, and and then I, I I do believe in the value of keeping um, 
keeping family ties. Yeah. Not, mm. not, not severing t- family ties. I think that's hugely important. And to do that, I think in, I would like to say, um, post-adoption contact as the default position. And then, then if the court would have to decide why not, why, right, yeah. why it shouldn't happen. And, um, and at the moment it's, it's not the default letterbox <laughs> is default. Um, and, and I think it should be flipped on its head. And I think yeah. that would, that would make for a more positive system. And it would also reinforce the value of, of post-adoption contact. One of the things that struck me looking back on the, doing the podcast is how often we've talked about social services and we've laughed or been appalled <laughs> or whatever. Um, that when we started this podcast we we didn't think that they would feature much and then looking back it's like oh gosh we've talked about them a lot and not always positive kind of thing and I think we need to make the distinction between individual social workers who are trying really hard to do a good job versus the system which is not kind of not helpful and it's and it's always the people that don't know us that are making the judgments and and held all the power and so I think that I think that individual social workers do want to do good Yes. Uh, do, do want to protect children and don't want to hurt people in the process. Um, but the system uh, is stopping that or getting in the way. Yeah, we've had a lot of social workers reach out to us. So it's very clear that individual people are doing the best they can. Yeah. Somebody's asked about the way we email and things like that and whether we use other social media and I think that they've used the term as it's quite structured over email or more ad hoc. I would say our email contact uh, isn't structured. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very, it is very ad hoc and, and we can we can. And email. it flows. It flows. I mean, some emails, it might be like a text message type content and sometimes, yeah. as you point out, it might be an essay length and with yeah. attachments and all sorts going on. Our main method is still email because that's our preference, isn't it? Neither of us like yeah. to talk on the phone. Um, and in spite of doing a podcast... <laughs> I don't like social media. <laughs> I don't really have a social media presence. But other ways we've used technology have been um, have been interesting because early on it was uh, we mentioned Sing Snap, uh, mm-hmm. where you used to sing, and CJ even mentioned it that he remembers that. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and also um, you have YouTube channels. Yep. And uh, one of them is ASMR. Do you want to say what that is? Yeah, it is. It's uh, autonomous. Sensory meridian response, which means which is um, it's basically just a very soothing feeling, a very relaxed feeling. It, it a lot of people use it to help them to sleep. Yeah. So when when I learnt about ASMR, you teach me a lot. HG ASMR, <laughs> stuff I don't know about. Um, it turned. I went and asked CJ. I said, "Does this make sense to you?" Like, obviously, I don't get ASMR, and um, and he was like. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah, 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 I get that. And so then, so he was able to watch, um, do you call them clips or films that you've done? Yeah. That, to induce ASMR in other people. Um, so that's another medium where they can, you know, like they can watch those videos if they choose to. We've given them the, the channel content. And you've got another one, Life of Laura. Yep. And, um, and they love watching your cat videos and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so they like tuning in that. And, you, you know, you give me a heads up if you put anything out there uh, that you think that they might need some parental guidance watching. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's just pretty much it, really, because I, I'm not into social media. We don't – and neither is like to chat on the phone. I confess that my, my biggest worry about doing the podcast with you was being – because we do have such a good relationship via email that, and I know that you don't like phones and neither do I, but it was like, and when we meet up, the dynamics different because we don't necessarily talk about the things that we talk about over the email. So mm. I thought, what, what if we sit opposite each other on a podcast and our friendship doesn't translate into a conversation? I thought that's going to be really, really hard and awkward and what do we do, you know, <laughs> because we've put it out there, we're going to do a podcast. But I think yeah. it's worked, yeah. I think feedback that I've heard is that, you know, we sound really natural together. And uh, So somebody's asked about um, how we've navigated changes in the level of contact and whether one has wanted more or less than, than others at various times. Um, and I know you got some feedback, didn't you, about that very yeah. issue? I have spoken to a couple of people now and a couple of people have said 
despite the fact that I think that what we have and what we've built as a family is is incredible and beyond anything I could ever have imagined there have been people that have said I should push for more and so when this person is asking about whether one person has wanted more or less that isn't something that has ever come up I think we're in a place where we, we do things very naturally it we're doing what works for us and so I don't feel the need to push for more I am grateful for what we do have and have no need to to push for more yeah I must admit that when you relayed to me that that you you had that those, those sorts of comments I kind of thought oh have I kind of not made you know done enough kind of thing and um and then I thought about it I thought well actually it's always been driven by the boys about what they wanted and um and in theory, I guess we could do more. It's what I would say, and I'd say this to potential adopters, is it is quite time consuming. For example, if we're if we're meeting up, if we want to manage emotions and process and all that sort of thing, so give the boys space either side of meeting up. Um, we just we decided to do it in the summer holidays, and so then if we're, we're meeting you guys, we're, and we've got two two dads to meet, you know. And then you want to space them out and, you know, suddenly that's your summer gone. Do you know what I mean? You know, like how can you fit in a holiday when you, you know, (laughs) when you're trying to, you know, on weekends so that everyone can be there, that sort of thing. It is, it it puts, it it does require some thought and some planning and and we like them to be really positive experiences as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's not as simple as just, you know, jumping in the car and, and going to meet, you know, they're, you know, maybe now it is, but certainly, you know, in the early days, you know, it was yeah. quite, yeah, there's quite a lot of build up to it. Um, and yeah, so had the boys pushed for more, I think they're always, um, you know, sad that they were going to miss you between meetings and things like that. And I've said this before, though, that children need to learn to manage uncomfortable emotions. And mm-hmm. if, if we just met every whim, every, yeah. you know, I, you know, I, I want to see Mummy Laura every weekend, you know, like that inter, you know, they, that's not very practical, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, you have to, um, I think there's something about not overcommitting and then resenting it, um, about doing what's manageable for everybody. And I've, you know, you're always on the other end, you're always accessible to them via email from via me you know at the Mm. moment and I think that they feel comforted by the fact that I am there they've never said can I have can I have direct access you know but they know that they can always say they want to send a message or or ask for a photo or whatever yeah um, that I will and that I will make that happen for them I've no I've never denied them in that respect yeah Mm -hmm. if they ask for you know me to arrange range meetups every weekend that's going to be a different story if I'm honest (laughs) um but I think too that because we try and make them such positive fun occasions there's almost a risk that they want to meet up for the fun do you know what I mean um rather than they're meeting you guys yeah uh, I don't want that I don't want the meetup to be overshadowed by the fun um for example um I I hope this is okay to say that the last time um well, it wasn't the last time we, we met uh, while you were pregnant with Ava mm-hmm. uh, because uh, we both thought it'd be good for the boys to see you pregnant. Yeah. Um, and also you might have been due or in, or in hospital when, uh, when the time came around that would be our normal meetup time and we didn't want to not have, not see each other. So again, that was a bit fraught because we didn't know if you'd be well enough on the day, but the boys were old enough to understand that. So we, we met up, we arranged to meet up, um, for a meal and you even managed to go and sit in the park and while, while everyone played afterwards um, but there was an element of oh what just a meal <laughs> like <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah it's like, well you normally have more fun than that <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think there's a balance to be had between what makes it um, manageable and yeah. also I think you know I've talked about us and the boys but I, part of my thinking was also about it must be um, take some emotional energy for you guys to meet up as well. Um, it it does. I, I mean, I can't comment on what it's like for extended family, but it, it it does because I do still get nervous about it. 
Um, and I think it from here on out, it's going to be a whole different experience with having Ava as well. And um, but yeah, it, it it mentally it takes a lot out of me for for the times that we we meet up. So in the last episode, you may have noticed that we teased at the end that we would have a very special guest on this episode. So So are you joining us, CJ? Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome. Seems so, very fun. So you you wanted to be part of this and we saved you to last because you know we like to save the good things for last. So mm. is there anything particularly you wanted to tell people who are listening? People at school, if they bother you, um, ignore them. Okay. So you're talking to other sort of people your age who are adopted? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so ignore them. And how, how do you do that? Well, to ignore them, you just uh, uh, kind of do a speak to the hand kind of thing. Okay. And that works? Yes. Yes. Most cases, it does work. You just need to show that you're not bothered and eventually they just give up. Yeah. So... When, when we were, uh, full confession, I've, we've had a few chats this week about, you know, how we should approach this uh, this chat with um, uh, with CJ. And uh, what you said at that time was um, you said that don't show which don't sh- present it as a weakness. If people think it's a weakness, then they'll come at you with it. Yes, it doesn't bother me. I just uh, I just walk away. Uh huh. And. Uh, <laughs> They normally just give up and walk away, and uh, if they don't, then I just have to deal with it differently. Maybe tell a teacher, although some teachers don't care at all. Have you ever told a teacher that you've been taunted about being adopted? No. Well, from my experience with the teachers that we've been exposed to, it is like anywhere else in life that you get a a mixture, and um, you know, you've had a fantastic one, but you you may not always recognise what's going on behind the scenes uh but you also had one who and let's not mention any names but you had one who flippantly um said to you in class uh when you got something wrong he said your parents should send you back and mm, he, yes yeah you remember that he gave was, me a chocolate bar to say sorry <laughs> he was you came and told us and and we took we obviously um did our um advocacy on your behalf and and, let him, and as soon as he saw us coming he looked very contrite we happened to have yes. a parent teacher evening um, very close to that event and he, he looked very shamefaced and he said that he, he often says that to kids in a, in a flippant way and as soon as he said it to you he realized his mistake and I said have you apologized to him and he said no <laughs> and so yeah. I said do you think maybe you should <laughs> and um and and he came to you, and in fairness, when you say he gave me a chocolate bar, he said, what can I do to make amends? And you said, buy me chocolate. <laughs> yes, well, I think when I was younger, I got upset a lot about things that people would say to me. But as I was older um, and get older, I realised that it just, it doesn't matter what other people think. It's, at the end of the day, it's not their problem, their issue. Mm. So whatever they say, uh, it just doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah, one could argue that that any kind of thing that pe- that is seen as a weakness, as in you might consider it a weakness in yourself, then the, then kids chip away at, it, don't they? So it yeah. could be something else. It doesn't have to be that you're adopted. So if you feel good about being adopted, not good necessarily good, but if you're comfortable with being adopted, uh, it's less um, easy for them to get under your skin about it. Yeah, it could be absolutely anything. It's not just being adopted. Um, but uh, you just have to show that it doesn't bother you. Yeah. Uh, they can say whatever they want. Uh, it's just not good. They're not going to get uh, a rise out of you. Nothing's yeah. going to happen. Okay. So thanks for sharing that. Um, we're, we've um, we've had a lot of questions from people about how uh, our relationship, Mummy Laura's relationship and, and, and mine, is being good for you guys, um, you and your brother. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if you can remember a time when it wasn't in your life. Yes. You um, can? Yeah, I can, I can remember. I remember just seeing pictures and uh, hearing, like, songs and stuff, but <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really know what she actually looked like 
or uh, what she was like. So, oh, um, there was a, still a connection, I guess, but there wasn't a, as big of a connection as there is now. And so, do you remember you you were the person that pushed for it? You you told me you needed to see Mummy Laura. Do you remember that? Uh, I do slightly. I do remember asking to see her. Yeah. And you had to wait a hot. We we arranged it, but we but social services said we had to wait a year. Um, do you remember having to wait? No, I just remember um, like counting down the days before we went, uh, mm-hmm. and then walking up that massive hill. Yeah, where we rented the property. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously we have like pictures from all the times we went there. But because it was quite a long time ago now, I don't remember all of the uh, specific details. Right. And what about um, having contact or meeting up with your um, birth dad? That was good as well. I think he's pretty cool with all the things that he's done. He's pretty cool. (laughs) And I like to, um, like, uh, see uh, my birth parents, like, I don't know how to describe it. It just allows me to know that they exist, I guess. Yeah, they're real. Yeah, Yeah. that they are still there. When you say that they're still there, do you mean still there for you? Uh, Yeah. So I've noticed that it's you and me chatting. I'd like to see if (laughs) Laura's got anything that she'd like to ask you. The only thing that I uh, would probably like to ask is, over the years, what have the meetups been like for you? Like, how do you feel in the run-up to them now? Um, and, and whilst we're all together, how how is it for you? Well, I remember the uh, first meetup. I was extremely nervous, but I was also very excited. And uh, I guess maybe the first time I wasn't very, like, comfortable but I was still excited and then uh, over the years I've gotten more comfortable with it and now um, I'm not nervous maybe I'm slightly nervous but I feel more like oh yay that's happening yeah and uh, it's just kind of become normal now and um, yeah I have more of a fun time because I can just relax yeah the way that you've described that is exactly how I was feeling that first time. I was nervous but excited, and then over the years, it's there is still that nervousness there, and I'm not really sure why, but I can enjoy it a lot more. But we know each other more now, so it's 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 just like seeing old old friends, old and other family. So yeah, it's uh it's a lot more comfortable and uh, more nice to like meet up now because. I don't have to, like, worry or, like... Well, yeah, I guess I don't have to, like, worry as much or be as nervous. I can just focus on having fun. Yeah. Well, that's good. Okay. Um, I think when we were talking earlier, there was also the question about what it would be like if I wasn't adopted or something. I think I asked... I said that some people have been asking um, sort of the benefits of it or, or you know, how how is being us being in touch benefited you and you you started talking about oh yeah if this didn't like happen if I wasn't adopted I wouldn't have like the friends that I have today or I may not have had the opportunities I've had uh, to become good at certain skills like parkour and skiing or maybe I would but I wouldn't have the same friends uh, my best friend has uh, encouraged me to do more things out of my comfort zone uh, and maybe that wouldn't have happened if I was not adopted. I think there's a way of looking at life because any any choices we make or in any, or not that it was a choice of yours, but any fork in our journey where you take one road and not the other, re, re, it, you, you lose something when you choose one path over another. You choose yeah. what that path might, might, might have been. So it sounds like, and when you, when you, when you're aware of that and you look back, you think, well, there's no point having regrets because mm. you're valuing what, what you have now. And I, th- I think that sounds really healthy that you're doing that, that you're valuing what you have now. 
Yeah, he's able to look at what he has instead of what he could have had. That's You put that well better than I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you recently met up with siblings. Ah, yes. What was that like for you? It was um, it was nice uh, to go see them. The uh, the like mini me's, except for one of them <laughs> has different color hair. They um, they're very feisty. They like to um fight. <laughs> um, we uh, we got them uh, these big hugging pillows, and uh, as soon as they received them, they started. Uh, they proceeded to um hit me with them. Um, obviously, <laughs> like I didn't pillow mind. Fight and you didn't have a pillow. <laughs> I I didn't have any pillows, so I just kind of had to stand there. But yeah, it was a uh, it was really nice meeting them and uh, seeing what they were like. Cause uh, RJ uh, was seeing his siblings. I wasn't uh, in, at the start. I wasn't really too keen in meeting them. Um, I wanted it just to be uh, mine and Michael's time. But I it got to the point where I think P really really wanted to see me. Oh. <clears throat> so I was um I was like all right we could meet up and they wanted, they had seen my Instagram uh, with me doing all my flips and stuff. Uh, so we uh, wanted to go to somewhere where I could try teach them a flip. And yeah, that's where I, uh, that's where I met them for the first time. And um, they, uh, they uh, like to, they're quite big daredevils. Yes. They, um, uh, there's a big like tour thing and they just jump straight off it, um, which is insane because even I didn't do that because it's quite high. I like to see that they say, uh, share the same traits with me. So what's that like? Do you see yourself, when you when you look at um, your birth dad, do you see yourself? Can you see? Yes, I definitely uh, uh, see the same facial structures. And uh, mm. also, I really uh, hope that I become taller than him. <laughs> <laughs> and what about good at this moment. Yeah, you're getting there. You're you're almost as tall as me. So, what about your sense of humor? I think we've already established that um, by meeting up with him, uh, it's pretty much the same. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Abs- uh, really, really bad jokes and uh, uh, <laughs> pulling funny faces. Okay. So, anything else you wanted to add on the top? On it's really um, about the podcast is about sort of connecting up really can I just share that again when we were talking about uh what to talk about uh in this episode with you uh I said I described to you what an adoption triangle was and said it's unusual for three people from that triangle so you me mummy Laura to be sort of having a shared conversation and putting it out there for people to listen to and so I said you know it might be helpful if we had an adoption issue we could talk about um uh, from every everyone's perspective. Do you remember what you said to me? I don't have any issues. You said that, and I thought that that's probably worth people hearing, really. Oh, and if you can meet up with your um, birth parents, definitely do take the opportunity because it's uh, a very good thing. Cool. <laughs> that's probably a good place for you to get off and do your homework. Yeah, go do I your homework. I have no idea what you're talking about Saturday. <laughs> I've done my homework. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us, CJ. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 So CJ no longer on the call. So again, we're doing this remotely. Um, I was just wondering uh, how you felt, Laura, when he was saying about the positives of being adopted. I, and I, I, um, I was thinking of you about at that point. <laughs> I can see what he means because in my own life, I am one of those people where I don't like to think about the what ifs about a situation because it would be difficult to say, well, what if he hadn't been adopted? Because I know full well that that would mean that I wouldn't have the husband I have and I wouldn't have the daughter I have and I wouldn't have the house I have and I would have had a completely different life. So it's it's hard to be to go back and say, I wish it had been different because it's almost like you're wishing that these positives hadn't happened. And so I think there's a there's a point in time where even something so terrible as what happened uh, as fast adoption, you have to let it go and start thinking about what you do have rather than what you could have had. So I can see where he's coming from with it. It's interesting that you both have that view of life. Yeah. So at the end of February, we went along. It was where we kind of launched ourselves as 
two good two good mums on the world yeah. really because we it's where we kind of said this is the podcast we're going to be doing but it was also powerful for you I think because mm. it was like walk, walking into the lion's den really <laughs> a room full of, of people it was yeah it was also the the first time I had ever publicly been acknowledged as having anything to do with the boys and as you said because it was a, a confidential safe space that audience were privy to to seeing photos and uh, of things that we've taken in the contacts um in the meetups and um and that was the first time my face had ever been seen next to theirs and and sort of I'd been acknowledged as um a relation to them as their mum in any shape way shape or form and it it was pretty profound and I didn't ex- I didn't had no idea it would have any kind of effect on me before going but it was definitely a positive one because before that even though the boys do call me mummy Laura or they used to when they <laughs> when they were younger they are the only people that I ever felt comfortable hearing that from um anytime anyone else said that I was a parent prior to having Ava I would just be like, no, 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 I'm not. Don't call me a mum because I just didn't feel like one. I didn't have the role as one. I was kind of rejecting the title because I just didn't feel the the need for it. I believed I wasn't doing anything that a mum would do. And then going there and, and hearing other people's experiences, and that was the first time I'd met any other birth mums um, that had been through anything similar to what I'd gone through. And I just came away and and realised that actually, even though not in the traditional sense, the things that I have done along the way are things that a mum would have done. Because I I know that whenever I've said over email that, you know, you do the best you can for them, you are mothering them the best way you can from the distance from yeah in the circumstances you you you've been reluctant my impression was that you've been reluctant to accept that and even the the name two good mums you were not comfortable with that yeah Mm, yeah there's something powerful about reclaiming the language as well so reclaiming that word for yourself so I think that just leaves us with um the summary of you know like if we had to say what why our relationships worked and yeah so we had some bullet points at the conference that to end the presentation on um about why what made the difference what and um and the first one was the stepping beyond the comfort zone and I, I touched on that earlier um and I imagine that it would have been for you too it can't have been easy no it was um as I mentioned in in the prior I believe it was the podcast where we talked about our first meeting just you know me me and you and and Chris it it was a risk and we were just incredibly lucky that it went positively yeah um but it took a lot of openness and a lot of willing to get along to to want it to work and obviously at that point in time we didn't know we'd be here (laughs) (laughs) it has taken just an immense amount of working together I remember the first time that um we all got together with the boys uh that that first time um after that we were both saying to each other oh we're so lucky to have you (laughs) (laughs) do you remember that yeah Yeah. um but as Chris often says the harder we work the luckier we get (laughs) I think the other thing that's made it really work is that um you and I hold the relationship for the rest of the family mm. so you you can you connect it was only you and I that communicate um so you you speak on behalf of your family so the boys maternal family um and now I also email have email contact with the two birth dads um but not in a relationship building kind of way the way it, it's it's very much kind of um arranging meets and things like that or if I need to you know communicate something about something you know um, it's not to the same level, but it's still, um, you kind of facilitated that certainly with Michael. Uh, so having that link, that one strong relationship, I think holds it all together. And I think this genuine warmth, I hope that's come across in the podcast. And I mentioned earlier that if the, if the boys, you know, noticed any kind of awkwardness between us, I think that that, that would yeah. sort of scupper we, things. We don't do this because it's, it's a duty. Um, we do this because we genuinely want what's best for them 
Um, and then along the way, we just happened to have created a genuine friendship. Yeah. So, so that that was our story. That was our journey. Shall we end on our motto? Yeah. If we can love two boys. They can love two mums. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>